0: The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day and the ability for us to gather to worship you. Thank you for the singing of hymns um, and just the meditation that we can have in that process of just singing the scripture, Lord. um, I pray as the message is brought forward that you would open our hearts to receive it, help us to stay attentive to the message, and just give Gary the words to preach to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All
1: right, turn with me to... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is probably one of the most amazing portions of the Word of God, or the most amazing event the Word of God describes in anywhere of the Scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're gonna read just three verses. Verse 16. For the Lord will de- himself, the Lord himself will descend from heaven, With a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage or comfort one another with these words. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. It is Mother's Day, they say, right? Right. This day, wonderful day. You know, on the calendar, we have a lot of days. This is a special day, a Mother's Day. Um, You know what's so special about mothers is that Eve who was the one, as the Bible says, she wasn't the one first created, but the second one. And she was in the way of the transgression. Not Adam. Adam wasn't the initiator, initiator of the transgression, but it was the woman. She's the one that brought the fall. Adam became the responsible head for it, for sure. But you know, when Satan is asked about what he has to give an account of himself and when Adam has to give an account of himself and the woman, the Lord says to the devil, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. He, You shall bruise his his heel and he's going to bruise your head. So interesting that sin came into the world through woman A woman, and yet through a woman came a savior for the sin of the world. How interesting mothers that is, that the first mother brought a child into the world, a sinful child, but another mother down the road, the Virgin Mary, brought forth a child. How shall an unclean thing bring forth a clean? That's the mystery. Jesus was immaculately conceived. Not Mary, but Jesus, who was born sinless because he was God being manifested in the flesh. And that was from the birth that came forth from a woman. Now, on the calendar year, just think of all the different special days that are had during the course of the year. We have New Year's Day, Martin Luther King, and a lot of these days have been added, of course, in recent history. A President's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Memorial Day, Mother's Day, we've mentioned Father's Day, Flag Day, Independence Day, Patriot Day, Columbus Day, uh, Veterans Day, Christmas Day. Then you have Grandmother's Day. Then you have boss's day. Then you have secretary's day. But the day that I want to talk about with you on the calendar of life is Jesus's day. The day when Jesus was returned, will return, you must put that on your calendar. You know, you probably have calendars like I do posted in your office or in your room or wherever, uh, kitchen. And above it, I have all of the different holiday days, these special days of the year, but we all need to have in our mind the Jesus day that's going to be coming in the near future. That is going to be such a special day. You know, uh, a few years ago, in 19, uh, or 2023, it was December 21st, astronomers had determined Long ago, and this was going to happen on December 21st of 2020, that the planets were going to line up. There was going to be a perfect alignment of the planets. That had not happened since 1623. So 400 years approximately transpired before this celestial amazing event was going to take place. And all those who were interested in, in, in astronomy were very, very curious about this, and it was a big deal. It had been announced for months and months and maybe even years that this is what was going to happen in the coming future. And many of them had gone to special locations around the country where they would have the best view of the planets being lined up. Or take, for instance, a, an eclipse, a full eclipse of the moon. That's real. How many eclipses have you seen in your lifetime? Depending on your age, maybe... Three, two, three, four at the most. And some of us have been around for 70, 80 years that doesn't come very often, but it's a special day. Everybody globally has an interest in that because it affects everybody on the globe. Those calendar days that I referenced to you, the Mother's Day, Father's Day, and President's Day, that's, those are American holidays for the most part. But what, which ones would be global? When we talk about the celestial, now that affects everybody on the earth. Well, what about Jesus' coming? Will that be global? Let's listen to some of these scriptures that you're going to hear and notice how emphatic the Bible is about the second coming of Christ. Oh. Uh-huh. was a fuller at least. Hmm. Those verse, verses should all impact us. You know why? Because when you think of all the history of religious leaders, take your Confucius, your, your, your Hindu gods or, or, or leaders, and, and your, your Mohammeds, and any other religious leader that you can think of, the only thing they've done is what, the way they lived and what they've left behind as far as their writings or what people have written about them. But you know why Jesus stands out above all of them? It's because he's risen from the dead and because he's coming back again. Which religious leader is coming back again? Now that must have been such an awesome thing for the early church to get this across to them. Jesus didn't just die and rise from the dead, but he's coming back again. So there was a high expectation expectancy that the early church had about the soon coming of the Lord Jesus. And they were all, if you will, on the the edge of their seats waiting for that to come. Now think of that. It tells us in the book of Romans chapter 13, He that shall come will come and will not tarry. And the day of our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And what is Paul referring to? The coming of Christ is drawing nearer. The, The hour... The sand in the hour, uh, what he, hourglass is starting to thin out. Jesus is getting closer and closer to the time of His arrival. When Noah was building an ark, there was expectation that the rain was going to come. People didn't believe it, but it says when Noah entered into the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. Lot, when he went out of the city, fire and brimstone came down from heaven suddenly Jesus is going to appear. And we're going to talk more about another aspect of the second coming of Christ in the next message. But I want to focus today on what is known as the rapture or the rapture of the church as it's commonly called. And we'll hopefully make some corrections on some of the erroneous ideas that have sprung from these verses. First I want to say as we look at verse 16, the Lord himself... God isn't sending another missionary. He's not sending an angel. Gabriel's not coming. Michael's not coming. But Jesus Christ himself. Our brother, whoever, I think Seth read the last verse, Acts one the angels had announced, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The same Jesus that was crucified on the cross is the same one that ascended into heaven and he's coming back again. And the Bible says they're going to look upon him whom they have what? Pierced. So he's still going to bear the marks of Calvary on his body when he returns. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. Where else do we have God descending in the Old Testament? Think of this. The Lord descended on Mount Sinai when Moses brought the people of Israel out from Egypt into the wilderness to the mount where they were going to meet with God. Jesus is going to bring us to meet with God, if you will. And I want you to notice some of the parables, uh, parallels here. I'm going to quote from you from uh, Exodus 19, uh, verse uh, 17 to uh, 20. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. <laughs> That's an amazing statement. I'm going to bring you folks to meet God. They had the gods of Egypt, but now Moses is going to bring them. He's already had some interviews with the Lord. He met him at the burning bush, right? When there was a bush that was burning that wasn't being consumed, he turned aside. He heard a voice that said, take your shoes off your feet. The ground you're standing on is holy. What an introduction to God. So that same God who revealed himself in a burning bush of fire As it says in Hebrews, our God is a consuming fire. And this is the God that Moses is bringing the children of Israel out to meet him. What it goes on to say. He brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. Did you see some of the parallels there? Brought the people to meet God. The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and the Lord came down. This is a momentous, earth-shaking epic to come out to meet God. When the ten virgins are gathered together, waiting for the bridegroom to come, five were wise, five were foolish. Five had oil in their lamp, five didn't. The foolish didn't have it. But suddenly the cry goes out at midnight. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet the bridegroom. Meeting the Lord in the air. What an event that's going to be when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Here's some other passages. And then shall appear... The sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other end. That was read already. Then Revelation 11.15. And the seventh angel notices sounded. What does it say that we were reading earlier? The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of what? The archangel and the trumpet of God. The seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Notice that. The seventh angel sounded. This is the final blow, if you will, of the trumpet. The seventh one. Just like the seven seals and the seven bowls, it ends it all. This particular one, it's the sound of the trumpet. How, who, who will go, it says in 1 Corinthians 13 or 14, who will go himself to war if a trumpet or a, 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 a sound gives an uncertain sound? It was significant that the sound convey what is taking place. And there were different sounds that were trumpeted in the Old Testament so that the Israelites could interpret that sound as to what it was for, either to gather the tribes together or to call for an alarm that a war was at hand or a call for the Israelites to get ready to pick up and move camp and go onward. This is going to be, it is called here, the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. Just think of it. You know, when a, when a tall ship approaches a bridge, the person in control and everybody else hears this noise. Everybody in a long distance away, they hear that sound and the bridge gets opened up for it. This is going to be sound, a sound that's going to be universal. Just think of how loud it must be if everybody is going to hear the sound. It doesn't seem sound or seem very secretive, does it? If it's going to be a sound of an archangel and it's going to be loud, it's going to be powerful. It's called the sound of the trumpet of God. This is devastating. This is really the, you could say the real year of Jubilee when everything is brought into an account now and God is gathering everybody and everything together. There's nothing secretive about this event. It's so public, it couldn't be any more public than as we have already heard read, that every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him shall behold him. In Revelation 1 verse 7, in all the tribes of the earth and the children of Israel, they're going to recognize who this individual is. Very public, very public. The Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of a command and with a voice of an archangel and with a sound of the trumpet of God. And then what? And then the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ. Now we mentioned last week that there was a grave concern by the Thessalonians about their loved ones that had died. And they had known, as we read in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 and 10, how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven. So in the message of the gospel, there was, of course, this addition that Christ is coming back again. And there was a waiting and an anticipation of Christ's return. So it's no surprise then that the Thessalonians would be a little befuddled when certain ones had died and Christ hadn't returned because they were waiting for his return. And I'm not sure how many months the time span between when Paul and others had visited the Thessalonians and when this epistle was written. But it must have been a fairly significant amount of time, a year or two or three, something of that sort. And yet the Thessalonians were expecting Christ to come in their lifetime before any one of them would have died. So when different ones were dying, now the concern on the part of the living ones were, oh boy, they missed the second coming of Christ. They were heartbroken about this, that they were going to be separate from them and they were not going to see them again or be with them again. Paul says, no, that's not the case. The dead in Christ will rise first. All those that had been believers in Thessalonica that died, they died in Christ. What a great way to die. When when uh, Stephen was stoned, he gave up his last breath and it says he went, he fell asleep in Jesus. That's a great way to describe the death of a believer. Asleep in Jesus. Cast away or dead. Those words are, you could say, they mo- they're morbid in comparison to they're asleep in Jesus. That's how the Bible describes them. They are the dead in Christ would be another way of describing the adjective to give the meaning of what a person is undergoing after death. They're dead in; they died in Christ. There's only two ways to die. You either die in your sins Or you die in Christ. The thief was dying and when he died, he died in Christ and he had the promise that where I am, there you shall be also. But to the one who dies in their sins, Jesus says, where I am, you cannot go. John chapter eight. So there's only two categories of people. We mentioned this last week. Either dead and die in Christ or die in their sins. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you can praise God. That your sins are buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. My sins are G-O-N-E, gone, gone. So we can praise the Lord that there is no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus as a living being, you're going to die in Christ. Because who shall separate us from the love of God? I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So even at death, our bodies still remain here, however, they are corrupted, either by a furnace in a crematory. Or, by worms eating it in the grave, or some other devastation that overcomes the body, the chemistry is still in the mind of God, and somehow has a, a read on that. But what about the other part of the person we 're composed of the, of a spirit as well as a body. we have a soul and a body that 's the part of us that will not die. Our brother was reading last week in Luke chapter twenty when a woman uh, the, the Sadducees bring the case of a woman. Who who has seven husbands had had seven husbands in her lifetime. Each of them had died one after another after another. Finally, she dies, and the question they pose to Jesus, like, "How we got you here now, Jesus? Who's going to be the husband of this woman?" Jesus says, and our brother quoted accurately from Matthew twenty two twenty nine: "You do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, because Jesus says that in heaven." that they neither marry nor are given in marriage. And don't you know the scripture that says that, that God is the father of, uh, of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is he saying there? That they're surviving right now. He's the God of them now. God wouldn't, that, that, those words couldn't be attributed to those who were dead and, and non-existent they were existent because the scripture says whether we live we live unto the Lord whether we die we die unto the Lord you can't escape God even those that are in hell he, he is over all of that even at the same time let's read on then then we who are alive who are left or remain will be caught up there's that word caught up that's where we get the word rapture from The, the Greek or the, really the Latin lends itself to, to reading it raptured up, which simply means to be caught away, to be taken off. We are alive, we who are alive and who are left will be caught up, not singularly, but with others. Who are the others? The others that have died in Christ. So the dead believers and living believers together will be caught up. So the first here will rise first. It's really the first in order. This is the first thing that's going to happen that will trigger what's going to occur at the second coming of Christ. There are multitudes of things, and we'll we'll talk more about this next week because you're going to see, as you heard, a lot of different second coming passages. There was just 10 of them that were read. We could multiply that probably by another 10 and find... Many more second coming passages. There's no hint in the New Testament that there's any special word for a pre-tribulational second coming of Christ and a post- second, post-tribulation second coming of Christ. The, the Greek words are interchangeable words. There's four Greek words that have that are translated as coming in reference to Christ's second coming. At as second coming, Jesus says the hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall come forth. All that are in the graves are going to hear His voice and are going to come forth. All so this does not defy the idea of a general resurrection of all mankind, but this is particularly focusing on the believers who have died and the living who are concerned about their possibility of missing the second coming and also the idea of the togetherness of a believer with a believer, a parent with a child, or a neighbor with a neighbor. Of course, all children of God. You know, it's... Uh, it would be nice to be a universalist if everybody would go to heaven. If we were all would be okay, if everybody would be saved, we wouldn't have to preach the gospel. We wouldn't have to tell sinners about their sins and about penalties and all that kind. We're all going to make it eventually because God is such a loving God and that God has a universal interest in the salvation of everybody. That sounds very appealing, but it's very unscriptural. There's no such thing. But what I can say, though, is the Bible doesn't dwell on the doom of the lost. Here the focus is you might say, well, what about those that are not dead in Christ? Jesus says broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way which leads to life. So the dead in Christ here are only going to be a few in comparison. But the Lord here in these verses is focusing only on those who are Christian, who are Christ like, who are the ones that have died in Christ. These are the ones that will, who have died, that will be caught up in the first order of things with us who are living. And then together, there's that word together, we'll meet, we'll be together, caught up together. See, that was their concern that we're separated from each other. But at that time, we're going to be united with each other. That's why it's going to conclude by saying, Encourage, encourage one another. Comfort one another with these words. This is not something to be discouraged about. Oh, death, where is your sting? Our brother was reading in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? We approach funerals as Christians very differently than the world and should. Not that we minimize grief or mourning; that's very appropriate. We mentioned that last week. We don't discard that. There's a naturalness of losing a loved one that we should have that sorrow and sadness over. And if some, if you don't, you're, you're, you're missing it. In spite of the fact that we realize that they're better off than we are, if they've died in Christ, they're better off than we are. Praise the Lord for that. To be with Christ is far better. So that sort of that minimizes the mourning. But it doesn't take away the naturalness of losing a loved one. And I think the Thessalonians were feeling that separation from their loved ones and their concerns for the future, as I've already mentioned. They're going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Wow. Now tell me, is that not one of the most amazing features that you'll find in the Bible? That believers living, what would that be like? I want to talk more about that next week because there's a lot to the to, to this whole event. There's more than what we can talk about in just one one short session. There's a, there's a lot more information, but just think of it. You know, what, what will that be like if that's the first thing in order? I mean, a, a pilot driving a, uh, an, uh, an aircraft who's a believer at Christ's second coming. The bus driver who's driving people around the streets. I mean, uh, the person, What? Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of questions that we could raise. The, the, the mystery of it is, is hard to try to rationalize in our minds. But it does say that we who are alive, wherever that will be, you might be sleeping. At Christ's second coming. Somebody's going to be sleeping in the world, obviously. It's going to be nighttime on part of the globe where people are sleeping. It's going to be morning to other people on the other side of the globe. But regardless, it's going to be one day, one time, one person, Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. And all are going to be raised from the dead. What a mighty God we have. What a great story this is. This is the consummation of all things. Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you shall be also. What a meaning that's going to be. Elijah was caught up right into heaven with, with fiery horse and chariot, caught up into heaven. Philip was caught away in Acts chapter 8, verse 39. He just suddenly was taken away by the Lord. And how about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? He says, I know a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, but such a one was caught up into the third heavens, into paradise. Try to figure that out. Paul wasn't sure if he went there physically or if he only went there in a spirit form. But he did see and hear things, he said, that are too sacred to be uttered. That's why I'm skeptical about 23 minutes in heaven books and those that have gone to heaven and have come back. And all this story seems to vary one from another. I haven't quite figured out all of the near-death experiences. There's something to it, but I think it's it's taken a bad turn sometimes. And I wouldn't want to base my eternal welfare or future on stories that I hear of people that have died and gone to heaven When there's so many different accounts that have been given and so many of them that are erroneous that contradict the scriptures. Can't go that way. But Paul says, I think this kind of settles it. We know that there wasn't such a one that was caught up into heaven. When did that happen? We don't know. It could be when he was stoned and he was dragged out of the city as dead. Could have been at that time. Or just a special event that occurred in his lifetime Regardless, he says that he was, and he's describing himself in a third person because he's trying to disguise things that he would come across as boastful about. He wants to keep that humble spirit because they were elevating the, the, their, their Judaizing teachers that were coming in and teaching false doctrine. But Paul's trying to tell them who is really their apostle. And Paul was trying to promote himself in a disguised fashion. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And the things that he saw and heard, he said, were too sacred. Too sacred. What does that mean? It must have been an awesome experience. And Paul be, could have been very inflated by that. He could have been puffed up because of I've been to heaven, everybody. You want to know what heaven's like? See me, line up, I'll tell you what. No, it was so sacred that I don't even know how to express it. I don't know how to express what it was like to be in glory land. It's going to be a meeting. A meeting in the air, in the sweet, sweet by and by. I'm going to meet you, meet you there in the land beyond the sky. Such a meeting will be there, never heard by mortal ear. It will be glorious, I do declare. God's own son will be the leading one in the meeting in the air. To the thief on the cross, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not you're going to paradise, but you're going to be with me. The most glorious thing about dying or Christ's second coming, we're going to be with him. And it's not so much the infatuation with those that we loved here in this world, and I'm not going to minimize that, but I want to maximize how much more important it will be and how much more of an attraction it will be to be with Christ your own personal Lord and Savior, the one who loved you and gave himself for you on Calvary's cross. What a debt we paid and what we owe him. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Now this word meet, this is important, and with this I'm going to close. The word meet here, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. That, That Greek word is only used three times in the New Testament. It's really a technical term for a ceremonial reception. This is not like, hey, we're gonna meet him there. No, we're gonna meet him there. We're having a meeting. We're going out there with a purpose. We're going there in, to accompany Christ. We're gonna visibly see him and we're gonna personally be there. There's some enthusiasm and excitement about being there because of where this journey of Christ is going to end. It's not going up in a way, it's going up and returning with him. And why do I say that? The use of the word meet. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, where? To visit her and Mary about the loss of their brother Lazarus. It says that Martha went out to meet him. That's the same Greek word. To accompany him as he's returning to their residence. And she just got to jump on it. She went out there first. Mary's Mary's staying behind. She wants to hear the Lord call her before she gets up and goes out. Martha's more anxious. She wants to, to catch him on his way in. That's how the word meet is used. The second time is when Paul, as it says in uh, Acts 28, it says, the brothers and sisters heard we were heading, and Paul is referring to, uh, It's we is, is really Paul and Luke, the brothers and sisters heard we were heading toward Rome and they came to meet us on the Apian Way or the Appian Way. They were going out to meet Paul as he's on his way to Rome to accompany him. So the word really means to greet, meet and greet and then to accompany in the final descent. You could say that this is a stopping ground, if you will, on Jesus' descent to the earth. And we're going to go up and be with him. And when you look at all the other second coming passages, we heard ten of them. And you can start searching the scriptures for it. And you you will find that there's only one second coming of Christ. Not two, not three, but one. It's the greatest event that's on the calendar of life, of, of human history that's the biggest one ahead. And what's amazing about that, you can't write down the date. Will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, when are you going to return? It's not my—it's not for me to tell you. Not even for the angels to tell you. That's my according to my father's good pleasure. So the word meet here, we're going to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a comfort that is. And that's why he says, comfort one another with these words. Do you ever think that this could be comforting to you or an encouragement to you? I think sometimes we do not emphasize enough the second coming of Christ. This is a gigantic cataclysmic event that's going to happen. Jesus says be ready for the son of man comes at an hour when you think not. Could he come today? I'm not gonna let my prophetical view say, well wait a minute, the 666 hasn't, hasn't spread out around the country enough, or I'm not sure that this one is the Antichrist or that one. Be ready! Because the Son of Man's gonna come in an hour when you think not. Are you ready? Do you have Christ as your Lord and Savior? You could die or Christ could come, and if you're not saved, you're in your sin, you would die in your sins, and at His second coming, we're gonna read next week about what will happen to those who do not know Christ at the second coming of Christ. Turn with me, if you will, in closing, in your hymnal to number 553, choir. And uh, you've got a C plus. let's get it up a little higher this time. Um, there's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In that sweet by and by, we were going to meet on that beautiful shore. 553, Michelle, come on up here.